Spanglish podcast. I am here, your host, uh, the one and only Vero Fuerte, and accompanying me, the best roommate and co-host you could ever hope to have here, is Mr. Ricardo Mexicano. Say what's up. What's going on, everybody? I feel like we're the, we're like one of the only podcasts, too, where we have to like explain what a podcast is in general to our uh, to our parents. There are probably... That's probably something that I... Because you told me your story about how you have to explain what a podcast was to your mom, right? Yeah, I mean, pretty much anybody in like my immediate family. I mean, except for my, like, my brothers, but like anybody who's like of the older generation, like I pretty much have to like break down like, hey, this is a podcast. It's pretty much like a long interview with like our myself in a Pero way. Pero que lo dijiste? Le dijiste que es como what? You told them that it was like, I, the easiest way for me to explain it is I tell them it's kind of like the radio, but like not. I didn't explain it though, like the radio. I, I said, because when they think of radio, they think of like music and all that too. So, uh... so I, ju- I was just like, it's literally like me just talking about certain things and recording it. And that was it. Hey, you know what? It's actually funny that you bring that up because when I told her, I'm like, yeah, mommy, remember, like I do this thing called a podcast, blah, 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 blah. And she said, a podcast? What's a podcast? And um, so, yeah, like that whole explanation thing. I don't think that there's many other minorities other than probably like, um, you know, people from the Middle East or Asians that have to explain to their parents you know, people that are not from here, what a podcast is. Because it's a very American thing, no? I wouldn't say it's American, but I would say it's more modern. And, you know, when we're talking about our parents and aunts and stuff like that, they're of an older generation. So I would say if you're not from, like, let's say that weren't born in, like, the 80s on, the concept of a podcast is kind of foreign in yeah. general. And, yeah, I mean, I think it's good how you said, like, kind of like a radio. Because, you know, there is talking on it. But, you know, I think some people have been so accustomed to radio being like this format of like, I just want to hear the music. I think for the, like the past probably four to five years, I would say Thanksgiving for us, at least it's been like super, super low key and like super, super almost like pushed to the side, to be honest. Mm. Like, it's not even like how I remember it kind of growing up. Even growing up, it was never like super, super big. But I do remember there was a lot more people showing up and stuff like that. But literally now Thanksgiving is literally like. My mom will make food for like just us, like just the family, like just the like, immediate me, family. Me, my brother, and my dad, and that's it. And then that's they'll, and, wild. And then they will eventually go out to like maybe my dad's sister's house and pretty much just kick it there the whole night, and that's it. Like literally, like like my Thanksgiving literally consisted of eating at my mom's house, and then around five p.m. I went over to Eric's house. Um, my this is one of my one of my best friends. For people who don't know. And I just chilled with him, his older brother, his younger brother, and and Karen. And probably played the worst game known to man. Yeah, I mean, it's up there. I mean, okay, I wouldn't consider it the worst. The worst. The worst human beings. I'm not a fan, but I don't know if I could call it the worst. (sighs) Okay, so here's the thing. Okay, our own Ricardo Mexicano and uh, his, uh, his group of amigos here, they played my least favorite game in the world which is probably every white person's favorite game in the world because every time i go to a christmas party or a thanksgiving get together or anything of that sort what have you they always pull out cards against humanity and no judgment okay no i lied that's 
I have a little bit of judgment for anyone that likes this game because my thing is, is that, and what did we, we talked about this earlier, like without the podcast is that it's not the offensive humor that gets to me. Okay. I, I feel like, um, comedy to a certain point has to be offensive. You know, comedy is a, is a style of anarchy is a style of, you know, there's, there's magic and being in the middle and being able to offend both sides in a smart and clever way. Uh, if you take offense to it, it just means that it wasn't funny enough. And that to me is what cards against humanity is. People wanting to put together a mass of really sloppy fraternity style humor like it's just not it's just not funny bro it's not funny to me and i and i get really agitated when people because i told you the story about um i don't know if i got accused of being uh too sensitive but i got accused being the uh like the killjoy yes of being the killjoy the situation is like oh it's just because you don't uh you don't uh respect the fact that comedy has to be offensive offensive like no that's not what it is like like, I understand that comedy has to cross lines and cross boundaries and all of this, that, and the other, but you got to make it funny. And, and, only, and, I, and, I, and I particularly disagree. I don't think comedy as a whole has to be offensive. There are plenty of comedy bits out there that are not really offensive, but still, you know, get off. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think like nowadays, though, that that's something that people are really craving is like they they go towards comedy that pushes boundaries and comedy that introduces new ideas, takes ideas that everybody is already thinking anyway, and pushes them to the front in a way that it says that things that people are afraid to say. And the thing is, is that in that fucking board game, everyone fancies themselves a comedian. The thing is, is y'all ain't as funny as you think you are. So yeah, that's just my take on it. You know, like if you like the game, that's fine. You do you, boo. No, I'm judging you. Um, but you know, I still love you, so it's all good. She doesn't love you. She's lying. What, uh, what, I, what I was gonna <laughs> say is, uh, I think that the the cards themselves and like the situation they give you uh-huh. are pretty, for the most part, unfunny. I think you can still make some if you're creative enough. There's still some funny uh, combinations. You, you gotta can make be super at, creative. Right, right, right. I think there's still some funny things you can come out out, out of that game. like But, yeah, like kind of like Betel said in, in her little rant, my thing is, <laughs> yeah, it's really, it just comes down to, it comes down to the giving. So, for people really who don't funny. know what, like, Cards Against Humanity is, can you explain, like, generally, like, what the rules are and stuff? Right. So, you have a, you have a black deck and you have a white deck, right? The white deck will consist of certain scenarios, like, Oh, every chick who blank needs to blank in order to be good. Like I'm just making up a scenario, but I wouldn't be mm-hmm. surprised if this is actually a real card. Mm-hmm. And then, so that would be the no, that would be the black card. My bad, that would be the black card. So the person who draws that now becomes like the the king or so, uh, however you want to put it, that gets to pick which one of the white cards out of the people who are around the table gets to uh gets to take that black card and it's all based on his opinion which one is the which funniest. one's the funniest yeah which so then, which two crazy scenarios that you put together to complete a sentence is like the wildest thing and then you get selected and then it goes yeah. on it's just like the concept is so simple but not brilliant you know and I, again i know that i'm offending that everybody that's inv- ever invited me to a christmas party ever because this is what we always play you know but you know it is what it is uh, i think i think the magic has wore off for me at mm-hmm. least like at first i got it you start to peel the onion back and you start to like look at these cards at least for me and yeah. i'm like you know what this this is really stupid man this really isn't 
Why did I find this funny three years ago? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it low just kind of just lowbrow. It's very, it's very lowbrow. Like I said, lowbrow can be funny to yes, an extent. But exactly. I, but I think for me, I think it just kind of kept writing when it should have just, you know, when took it should have stopped. I feel like Cards Against Humanity at its best is something that you can play for ten to fifteen minutes, and then to me, it gets old really, really quick. But okay, like enough, like bullshitting on this card game. Uh, Because I could go on forever about that. I know that going home to Thanksgiving and everything, you and I experience two different perspectives. When I go home for Thanksgiving, I go home to, you know, not just my mom, but also my brother who drives back in the town. To your mom specifically, and your mom has like three sons, right? And I know something that we wanted to touch on was, you know, the dynamic between Latinos like Latin men and their mothers. Yeah. Well, it's actually four, including me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In total, it's four because i'm the because uh, i'm the oldest so yeah i think it's something that really doesn't get brought up i think we see it portrayed a lot about mm-hmm. this overprotective very loving mother who always wants the best for their son but i don't think we really get into like the nitty-gritty as to why it's like that and i think i think it's two main reasons first one i think is definitely machismo and like this culture that the woman has to take care of a man and i think secondly is if we're talking about specifically the Hispanic American, the Mexican America, Salvadorian, etc., it's the mom knowing that their son has to deal with this certain society that doesn't really like them to begin with and really has to make sure that they're taken care of more so than they probably would have um, maybe in a, in a different environment. Explain. I mean... Which one? The first one or the second one? The second one. I mean, you know that, that, you know, Mexican, you know, I think besides black people, Mexican males are pretty, tar- are like the ones to be targeted by police the most, the oh, ones yeah. to be harassed by. That's, that's what I mean. I think I'm, it's, it's the societal, so, mm-hmm. it's the societal uh, perspective of a Mexican male, of a Hispanic male that, you know, you're either, you know, you, you get, you get a look at them and if it's a, if it's a stereotypical portrayal you know you're a game banger you're 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 a, a no good that you know it's just impregnated a bunch of women you're you scheme you steal it's just all these negative portrayal that you've seen you're a drug dealer on the side mm-hmm. of the street all that at the core of it i think a lot of mothers are just trying to protect their sons and, and that and from from a lot from a lot of that so they're very very protective in that sense uh, all valid points as far as Latin men, Latino men being discriminated against the against uh, regarding the police more so than uh, more so than many other races, excluding, you know, of course, black people and black men. I just find it interesting that you use that of all things to justify the way that a Latin mom treats their Latino son, because I don't think that just from watching them that that's what's running through their head whenever they are you know, doting on their son's hand and foot. And I understand, like, whenever, uh, like, a Latin boy gets of a certain age, you know, when they get, like, 11, 12, 13, 14, then naturally, like, whether it's a Latin mom or a dad or whatever, that uh, worry starts to come into their head of, like, we got to make sure he stays out of trouble. We got to make sure he's in extracurriculars. We got to, you know, make sure that he's not out running the streets. Y todo eso. But I, because you've never had a sister... I don't see how, like, that dynamic is any less different when it comes to Latina women in general, because on the other side of the spectrum, 
Latin moms and Latin dads, they have to worry about their Latina girls in their life, obviously not getting pregnant. And like all the stereotypes that, you know, it are annoyingly like endowed upon us, not just by society in general, but also sometimes by the older generations, you know, um, getting pregnant too early, um, getting into hood rat stuff with our friends, et cetera, et cetera. Like we had to go through all the same shit too. And yes, like they don't, like our moms won't necessarily look at us and worry about us being gangbangers, but they'll look at us and worry about us being involved with the right guy, uh, with the wrong guy, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why, you know, we are not allowed to go out, you know, past the curfew of 8 p.m. until we're 18. True story. Um, and that's why, you know, we are expected to... S- I, I just don't understand the correlation between police brutality and and how that has to do with how your mom treats you at home as a man. I think it goes a little bit more beyond police brutality. I think it just goes beyond. The, I think it goes more into that's one aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think more so it's the uh, the the gang influence and the drug dealing thing. Yeah. And I say more so that those two, because what you made what the points you brought up when, when it comes to like uh a woman mm-hmm. and like the the stuff that their parents worry about a, a, a latina woman i think when it comes to males and that aspect of drug dealing and and gaming is that we're talking more of a a scenario that could lend itself to death and i think that's what really um plagues the mind of a lot of like parents in general but especially the mom where so, they don't they don't uh, want they don't want to see their 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 baby boy die before they reach the age of 20 before they reach the age of 18 okay then the end though i totally understand that but what the hell does that have to do with a latina mom not letting the baby boy do any chores around the house while the little girl has to do everything like because, if, because they feel that if they let their sons you know have this level of freedom they'll be a little freedom less... to what like pick up in the living room every once in a while or wash a fucking dish like i don't understand what we're talking about here that's what i'm saying if they let their sons you know kind of like if they treat them the, the that in their mind thinking that by treating them this way they'll be more less likely to gravitate towards that because a lot of that stems from like you know neglect at home a lot of usually stems from like something very deep as to why certain kids get involved in gangs and drug dealing and hood rat stuff, you know, a lot of that really starts at home. You know, a lot of people don't really talk about that, but I believe most of that stuff really starts at home. So I, so I feel like with a lot of Latina moms in the United States, they feel like if they can shelter their kids, if they, especially, you know, their son specifically, if they can give them this life where they won't need anything besides them, then that will keep them out of trouble. Okay. Now, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm in an all-male household, all right? I didn't get any special treatment when it came to dishes and stuff like that, all right? So I don't know what it, what it was like with the sister thing. So you can't put that on me. Okay, that, that okay, okay. Because you know, you know, I'm uh, uh, I'm arguing, and through. I'm the oldest too. Yes. And we talked about my stuff. Okay, when so it comes... we're both the oldest. Okay, so you can't play. No, that I'm card? saying. I'm but, saying. Okay. I know what it's like mm-hmm. to like you know have the responsibilities on yes. me to be the older brother to do certain things around the house to you know. Yeah. I yeah. know all that. Being the oldest Latinx is a whole nother topic in and of itself that we can talk about later. Because birth order, I tell you guys, uh, mi gente, like I've said it once, I'll say again, birth order over zodiac signs, over um, Enneagram tests, over any of that shit. Birth order will tell you everything you need to know about a person. But I digress. There, I... Is, a, there is a third point, though. I'm okay, sorry to cut okay, you okay. off. There no. is one more point, though, that I think ties into this whole... Mm-hmm. Uh, spoiling of the, of the sun 
and it comes this is only Spoiling deals with son that sounds yeah. like a romantic novel yeah. yeah and i think this only applies to single mothers mm-hmm. that when they get a son when a single mother has a son and they were done wrong by the baby daddy maybe husband they feel reformation that if they can reform this kid and give them what they It'll need that right all the that, wrongs in the that universe they, and that they will not turn out like how that man did them in the universo mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i feel like that's a par- very important nobody talks about this see it's your boy man i know i, I be bringing the stuff yeah, up that but that doesn't mean it about, makes man. any fucking sense like it's so I'm not saying, like, no no i'm so, not saying i'm not saying so, it makes like, sense. okay so like, like let's take about the fact that in a very stereotypical like his uh, latinx culture like the men are known to you know like hypersexualize or or the women or expect them to you know be this that and the other whether it's domestic whether it's like uh you know vivacious and like just overly sexual that sort of thing but at the same time if they have a little girl and this is not okay so this little subject is not just um it's not just subject to uh, like latinx communities either i mean like black communities have this american communities i mean white uh, community sometimes have this you expect something different from a grown woman than you would a little girl in how you treat them and shelter them and how they grow up and how they're not allowed to wear you know spaghetti strap tank tops around the house because lo and behold if like uncle julio comes walking in then it's your responsibility not to arouse him you know like sorry to get dark but like that that kind of shit goes down and the expectations and the weird re sense of responsibility that a little girl has to go through in their day-to-day lives just by being around the house only because the fact that they are a girl whether it's they have to be super conscious of how they dress they have to be super conscious of how much work they put in the house they have to be they it's almost as if they are only worthwhile if they are of some use and if they are quiet and if they are if they just make sure to not stand out in any sort of way and to serve those around them. That is the kind of environment that a lot of little Latin girls in a more traditional household grow up in. And I know from experience that I, I love my family to death. I really do. So I like in saying this, like, you know, I mean, they know what it is. Like, I'm not speaking out of turn or whatever, but I grew up with a lot of complexes against Latin men because of the way that I grew up, because, you know, me being me having the rebellious nature that I did and like just watching how the men in my life would get to like sit around the house and, you know, like scratch their ass while they ate Doritos and watched Family Guy. And I'm over here working two to three jobs and, you know, coming home with all of these chores expected to do, because if I didn't do them, like my ass would get chewed out. It's a whole different experience. And so when you when you grow up in that environment, like when as soon as you get out of that, you want the exact opposite. And you it's funny because it almost becomes sort of like a nature versus nurture thing. Growing up in it, you either become to the you either come to the point where you grow up expecting that lifestyle for yourself, or you end up completely rebelling against it. I'm really glad that we're talking about this though, Ricardo, because I feel like we come from two very different perspectives, and to discuss this, to discuss the relationship between Latin boys and their mothers, is not something that. I.e., again, doesn't get talked about a lot and doesn't get talked about a lot from two different people that experience it two different ways. Yeah, for sure. And all your points you made are valid. But at the same time, this is why nuance is important because 
me growing up in a very like Christian household, I know what it was like to, from a very early age, you have to treat a woman right. You have to treat them in a very certain way. The way I dress too. I know you talked about the whole dressing thing. I was, you know, there was many years where I couldn't wear what I wanted to because my mom had, you know, been very strict on what I could wear. So, like I said, in a very traditional household, like you said, yeah, a lot of that stuff is valid and it does go on. I'm just more so trying to explain the uh, the, the certain nuances on my end, at least that I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't privy to that typical hand and footness of the mother of yeah. the father. Yeah, because uh, it was an all boy household, with right? You, right? Exactly. Yeah. And like, and like, you know, from a, you know, I'm lucky because from a very early age, I was taught to, you know, you have to pull your own weight, kind of thing. You know, yeah. not saying that you're gonna be, you know, beaten down every second if you mess up, but like, you know, just you know, you got to carry your own sometimes. And, you know, that's that's still something I, I carry with me to this day. I think it also says a lot to when it comes to that dynamic, like I can clearly see the love that a mother has for the son. Like, don't get me wrong. Like my mother, like, loves me. Like, you know, it, there's like there's no denying it, mm-hmm. but she's not going to be. But it's not going to be to the point where she is waiting on me hand and foot kind of thing, you know. Um, and I think I think the same thing could be said for like. Uh, father than their daughters you know it's that opposite i think it's the whole opposites because you know female male male female i think there is some something to do with uh a certain level of uh intimacy that you that you just that when you, yeah when it happens. I, I can see where you're coming from and uh, and i think i see where you're coming from just because again like you were you were a boy that grew up with a mother and with me i was a uh, I was a I was a girl that uh, grew up with a mom and a brother and no father in the picture. So even so, my mom and my brother got to have that relationship that like whole like a uh, uh, mother principe mother like doting on her little boy, you know. But I didn't. I never got to experience that whole like daddy's little girl thing. And like this is not like some sort of like pity party thing or whatever. But I mean, it's the facts of life. Like when you don't have that little that little part uh, growing up up as a girl that has a dad then i guess that i could see where that sort of makes my experience uneven in a little off kilter because i only got to witness like one side of the mother-son relationship and i'll really experience the father-daughter one to sort of even out my view of the world does that make sense no yeah definitely yeah you kind of just got the uh almost the harsh reality sometimes that when it comes to mother-daughter relationships and, and you know a lot can be said with like son-father relationships you know they're not the easiest yeah you know to deal with yeah um it, just to kind of round out this 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 topic <laughs> i do want to say that i hate I, I absolutely despise you know men you know i'm calling out men i hate men that see having a daughter as a as a death sentence i really hate that narrative i really hate that talking i've always hated for some reason because explain to me exactly what because, you mean because i think i know what train you're on because a lot of men who are expecting a child when the moment they find out it's a girl all you hear is oh man it's gonna be the worst experience ever oh man this is this is god punishing you for oh, you man, acting like, like a dog now, back then. you know i'm gonna have to lock her away for 18 right. years yeah like oh you're gonna have to watch that one like i hate uh. that i hate that talk because because to me i don't care what people say to me it's it, it's like devaluing that person just because it happens to be a female it happens to be a woman and i and i hate that because i'm like this is your daughter like why are you looking at her like she's some sort of like 
curse upon mm-hmm. you. And I think a that's why burden. I've, it's more of a yeah, burden than anything yeah, else. Yeah. You know? And like I've always and I think that's why like I've gravitated to wanting to have a daughter me when I eventually have children. I really want one because I'm like I wanna like experience and let and like let people know like it's not something to be like a burden or ashamed of. Like mm-hmm. I think it's beautiful just it's the same beautifulness that I expect to have when I have a son. Like I'm not looking at him any different. Like I don't I want that stigma to go away that they're having a daughter. You know what's really fucked up sometimes about the Latinx community is that like it's not just the men that think that way. A lot of the a lot of the muheads, a lot of the moms to be think that way as well, you know? And that's like a concept that I mean like you said, I'm absolutely sick of is the fact that like we are seen from the moment that we are born as this like burden to something to like watch after and to make sure that it doesn't get too far away and to make sure it like and make sure it doesn't get into any trouble. You know, it's 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 really fucked up. And I I do hope that we get to a point where one day like that men whenever and maybe it's something inherent, you know, like ancestral, like, you know, men, at least they can pass down my genes and my last name. So I really hope that we get to a point where we can break that stigma, like you said, because just to think of the fact that from the moment that we are born, it's kind of fucked up. I just I, I can't get over that. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah we got to do better. When yeah. It comes to that. For sure, for sure. But uh, moving on to something lighter, because you actually had to tell me about this. I had completely flown over my head is the fact that the Grammy nominees came out this week, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Grammys are in uh, the end of January this year. They're usually in February, but sometimes they're like the last week of January. I think it's January 31st. Is the, They're going to air next year, 2021. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they uh, they recently came out last week, created a... A lot of talk, uh, talk on Twitter and, you know, all over the internet, just like it usually does. A lot of people felt like a lot of people were uh, snubbed. As per usual. When As is always. when is someone not snubbed? And come on, it comes back to that whole conversation where, like, we don't care about the Grammy. We don't care about this. But the moment it comes out, everybody is so quick for that validation. Everyone's so sensey, bro. Everybody wants that validation. Yeah. Uh, I saw a great tweet where uh, they said, for one day... And, you know, it's the day that they announced the nominees. For one day, mainstream artists get get a chance to feel what independent artists feel 364 mm-hmm. days of the year. Oh, wow. That's deep. How, That's you know, really how independent deep. artists put in this work. And they never get recognized and they, for And they it. come out with an amazing project, yeah, but never get recognized. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, some of the big... Let me see. So, some of the big... Um, for record nom- of the year? Yeah, nominee, of course, record. Uh, we got... Beyonce for Black Parade, Black Pumas for Colors, The Baby for Rockstar, Doja Cat for Say So, Billie Eilish for Everything I Wanted, Dua Lipa for Don't Start Now. My Jam, yes. Uh, Post Malone for Circles, mm-hmm. and Megan Thee Stallion for Savage. Mm-hmm. The remix, actually, the one with uh, Beyonce on it. Gotcha, gotcha. I, I don't know, like uh, I mentioned earlier, I'm just so perpetually impressed that people that were literally in complete obscurity thanks to TikTok this year, are now nominated for the freaking Grammy Awards. Like, that's just, like, a hard concept to even grasp for me. Because I forget, okay, so, like, correct me if I'm completely off base, but wasn't Meg the Stallion more or less? Like, didn't she blow up over TikTok? No, I mean, no? she's been popular for the past two years. Yeah, but I thought that she, like, really blew up once a song of hers, like, uh, blew up on I TikTok. I mean, Savage blew, blew up on TikTok. Yeah, that's what it was. I mean, was. yeah, I mean, to, to, I think to date, that is her, like, her... As far as her mainstream, her, I like, think that's her, I think that's mm-hmm. her biggest, like, solo song. 
I think you know WAP is pretty big too, but that's what's Cardi B. That's more her song. Yeah. So yeah, the feature, yeah. so she's she's a featured artist on there. So yeah, I think Savage so far is like the biggest like mainstream as a solo artist. She's she's a uh, hit so far, but you know Meg's had plenty of success. You know over the past few years, ever since she's hit it big, it's just yeah now it's you know through the roof. And yeah, I'm glad to see she got record of the year. Do you know the difference? Between, between record and song of the year. Oh, know? okay. So song of the year is that like a songwriters award, right? Yeah. So is more, that, yeah, okay. more or less. So record, record is you know the individual song, but it's for like the whole composure of that song. So mm-hmm. they're crediting engineer, they're crediting the producer, they're crediting the artist themselves. That's what that's awarding. Mm-hmm. Song of the year is more so for the songwriting. So, and you know what? I'm actually kind of glad that they like um, that they pick out the songwriters specifically for this because i feel very recently that songwriters are getting more and more recognition lately um you know rather than uh stay behind uh behind the scenes as they have been so i mean song of the year has been around but i just feel like in general um songwriters are just coming up more to the forefront um and you know letting their names be known and it's good because usually they're they're in the back so there's a lot could be said about that. I mean, some songwriters don't really care about the attention. You know, they just care about, you know, you know, the words and the lyrics and they just want to do their job and, you know, be left alone at the end of the day. But yeah, there are some that kind of like do deserve that recognition for sure. And, you know, it's, it is, it is good that people know about them more, you know, to the James Fauntleroy's, to the, uh, to even the Bruno Mars. I mean, Bruno Mars have written yeah. a lot of songs for like, you know, people you, you thought that they wrote themselves. Frank Ocean. Yeah. Frank Ocean, of course, you know, was writing for Bieber and stuff like yeah. that back in the day before he hit it big. Uh, T Pain has written a lot of people's songs. A Con has written a lot of people. Eminem has written a lot of people's songs. Mm-hmm. Jay has written a lot of people's songs. Um, was Snoop Dogg wrote a lot of stuff for Dr. Dre back in the day? I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot of people, and those, those a lot of people I mentioned aren't in particular songwriters, but you know, that goes into like you know, Dallas Austin's the. Um, but yeah. what do you think of the best R and B song nominees? So that's the one where a lot of people. Got a little, a little mad because you know there aren't any, mm-hmm. any women. Mm-hmm. Did you say song or album? Uh, the best R and B songs, but the album too. Uh, well, there are women nominated for for songs. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, but the album is the one with that you know people got mad, mm-hmm. upset over because there weren't any women nominated for best R and B album. Now there is that new there is that new category called best progressive R and B album, which I think this is the first which time that's ever so been awarded. Crazy. Yeah, I did see that. That's the first time that's ever been awarded. To, you know, so I guess. Yeah. I mean, if you read the description, it says for album containing at least fifty one percent playing time of a newly recorded progressive vocal track derivative of R and B. So to me, that sounds like you know what progressive R and B to me sounds like. What? It sounds like when. It, it sounds like when Miguel and Frank and Weekend first popped into the scene. <laughs> yeah. And people were calling it, specifically Weekend, they were calling it uh, PBR and B. PBR and B. You know what that means? So, you, do you know what PBR is? PBR. Mm. Paps Blue Ribbon is a type of beer. Uh-huh. So, what people did back in the day in the early, like in the resurgence of like this new wave of R&B in like the early 2010s, PBR is a beer. And PBR is very associated with that hipster college person mm-hmm. that they really like to drink so they were they were pretty much putting frank and weekend in the box and saying that the only people that listen to this is hipster white hipster, hipster, hipster white hipster people white people and you know and they hated it down 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 and weekend like i think in particular you know tore that down pretty early he was like no you're not gonna put me in this box calling me you know 
that I only appeal to this certain group. I mean, there's some truth in that, you know, the, from but especially you, but early But also on. with uh, artists, you can't always pick your audience, no matter how much you exactly. may want to. You exactly. Know? But, you know, I'm glad that stigma's over because mm. I, for one, wasn't a freaking college white person when I first found out about them. And I so, know The weekend is your boy. Yeah, exactly, That's for sure. That's your boy, your number yeah, yeah, one. Yeah, I've, I've been following Abel forever, so. Yeah. Um... To me, that's what that that category sounds like. It's 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 because if you look at the look at look at the nom, look at the nominations for that, Janae, Chloe and uh and Hallie, Free Nationals, Robert mm-hmm. Glasper, Thundercat. That's all like people who do R and B, but it's more so an alternative version of R and B, in my opinion. So they're just like, oh, you're R and B, but you're kind of weird. It's what is what that category. Yeah, is and me. I don't know, and like weird is like such a it's such a. See, weird is such a weird term to uh, to describe anyone that like makes any sort of art that's like outside of what you would normally expect to hear you know um i'm just glad that they're not that it just it just seems with all of those artists that they're being so that they're being very sincere in the way that they make things um because a lot of times you know uh people wait around for this idea to be original you know um and it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier before the podcast was you know like what exactly is originality you know there's a lot of times where people say that everything that's uh worth saying has already been said do you believe that i do not well i mean i do and i don't like again that school of thought of like there's nothing in this world that's original everything worth saying that's already been said is true but here's the thing is that it hasn't been said by you and i know so many this is what drives me crazy is i know so and sometimes i get stuck in this wormhole too like for all of you creators out there me for all of you people that out that are out here just want to make whether it's music videos podcasting whatever it is lo que sea everything that Everything has already been said, but it has not been said by you, homie. It has not been said by you. And I know that it sounds cheesy and I know it sounds stupid, but that the only way that you burst through that ceiling that you create for yourself is to stop hating the sound of your own voice, like metaphorically and literally. You have your own unique way of saying things. And maybe because there is not a single person, there is not a single Da Vinci, Van Gogh, Mozart, Beethoven that has not been influenced by somebody else. And I, I, I just believe that if you're going to let the idea of something, you know, being complete, not being completely original to like stop you from actually making, then I call bullshit, you know, um, and you have to push past that, you know, not, I'm not saying to outright all out plagiarize but you know i just i feel like people are too hard on themselves to try to make something completely unique and different when in the reality almost nothing is yeah i mean yeah i, I definitely believe that everything is a remix you know mm-hmm. to put it more in the modern terms um but what if that person you know just doesn't really see themselves as you know i guess for like a better word special enough i guess as uh as game-changing you know, do you have do you you know in that sense? I don't think you really have a right to tell that person that they should go for something that they don't no. ha- they don't believe in. Well, here's the thing: is that thing I feel like when it comes to that argument, it all comes down to what does that person want to do when it comes to chasing a dream or whenever it comes to chasing you know like um wanting to create something. 
like, uh, are you not doing it because you don't want to do it? Or are you doing it because you're afraid that that you are not enough or that your vision or that your take on this is not enough? Because those are two different things. If you think if you're not doing it because you think your take is not enough, that's an issue. That's something that you have to barrel through. If you're doing it, if you're doing it because you legitimately don't want to, then more ups to you. I want, I want to, Ricardo Mexicano and mi gente, like, I want to die without any regrets. And the last thing in the world that I want to hold me back is the idea that, you know, I'm just like everybody else. Because I am. And you are too. We're all exactly the same. But that's the beauty in it. Because then that just makes us, like, all supremely different and unique in the way, in our perspectives, in our takes on, in our take on things. I just think, and this may be a little, little bit of a hot take, but I don't think there's anything wrong. I've never thought there was anything wrong with saying that you are not good enough. What do you mean? I think it's okay to admit to yourself that you cannot achieve this certain dream. Don't, even though you may put certain effort into it, a lot of time, I mm-hmm. think it's okay to admit when you're not good at something. What I'm hearing from you, Ricardo, are two totally different things. It's one thing to think to think that you can't achieve a certain dream, and it's one thing to think that you are not good at something. If you can't to say that you can't achieve something, there's nobody in this world that knows whether you can or cannot do something. Even sometimes, even you can't. You don't know whether you can or cannot achieve something. That is, so many factors go into you achieving that one particular goal that you don't know if like you doing this one thing or you doing this one other thing would have gotten you to that place. So to say whether you definitively could or could not have at the end of the day achieve something is a very complicated question but to say that you're not good at something is super easy to answer like either you're good at something or you're not but you can always get better whether or not you want to whether or not you want to do put in the effort to get better is completely up to you and that's without any shame like if you get tired of the fucking piano uh, because you're only because you keep hitting this wall that oh i'm only like this amount of good and if i want to get better i have to put in this many hours and i just don't fucking feel like doing it anymore and this is the limit of quality work that i want to put into this instrument then that's fine like don't fucking do it but that doesn't mean you couldn't that just means that the amount of work that you would have to do to achieve that is not something you're willing to put in. And that's fine. Mm, I don't think it's really that complicated. I, I, th- think- I, th- I think for every human, I think we internally deep down know when we can't do something. I think I think it's more... I know, well, I know humans are very resilient and we, and we can push ourselves to a lot of things. But I, I, think, I think it's also the, the polar opposite where we kind of know very internally when we can't do something. And it's like hard to swallow and it's hard to like admit to our, I don't even know how to call it, but like our, our psyche our psyche, and like <laughs> our, our very existence for like, if I'm not doing this, then what am I kind of thing? Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think it's a pretty simple thing in a lot of ways, but I mean, we push through that regardless. I think mo- most humans don't want to admit that and we push through it and we try and we try again. You know what it reminds me of? You know why I disagree with you so fiercely, Ricardo? Is because I've watched the movie Limitless. And I just, I can't get over the idea of like that one guy, you know, in the movie where he like takes the pill or whatever and he like unlocks like the other 90% of his brain. You know, and I think about human beings like that all the time. It's like we just, we have no 
actual concept of exactly what we're capable of. Now, it might take us more work from one person to the other to achieve that thing, but I just, I refuse to be that close-minded into thinking that, like, into thinking that we know what our potential is. I don't think that we know what our potential is. I don't think that any of us do. I think some of us do. Mm-mm. I think some of us do know their potential. Nah. You know, and I don't think that's nothing to be ashamed of. I think that's the thing we have to get over is being ashamed of that. I don't think there's nothing to be ashamed of just because you know your potential. I just, I, I disagree. We will, we will agree to fiercely disagree because, I, I mean, how can you say, how can you say what your potential is if you die before you actually reach, uh, before you actually reach it, depending on what you want to do? I don't know. Who's to say? I know I don't exactly. have Exactly. I know. Who's to say? Not you, not him, not anyone. I know I don't have, I know I have unlimited potential, but who's, who, who am I to say that because somebody, somebody, somebody one day could come across the street and tell me like, hey. I've reached this limit. And I, I, I can't just, you know, force him to believe that he hasn't. You're not trying it, to force anyone. That's, that, saying, has, that, that's the, something that has to come from within That's what I'm saying. Like, if he's believed deep down inside that this is it, then... Then and, it's and not ha- really a belief. It's a choice. Mm, see, that, see, that's mm. where it, it gets really muddy. I don't know. That I gets, think that's that where it gets cho- really, really muddy. He's chosen to stop. You know, and that's nothing wrong with that. Like, I'm not shaming people that choose, that decide that they're not good at something and veer off into a different direction. That's perfectly fine. Uh, kind of a kind of a uh, different steer on things. We wanted to talk about laugh tracks, right? Because you and I have been deep diving individually and together about this on the YouTubes and the like, right? Mm-hmm. Laugh tracks have kind of be- been like this old formatting when it comes to television, and it doesn't really. There's plenty of shows nowadays that. Well, I won't say plenty because I think less, it's less and less every year from what I notice. But there are definitely a handful of shows that still use the laugh track, you know. And it's a very, in my opinion, a very formatted, a very outdated um, choice when it comes to TV, specifically sitcoms. And it, it, it you know, it's subconsciously forcing you to laugh because that's what it is doing. And, it, you know, the idea of a laugh track is that, okay. The audience is laughing with this, so you at home should be laughing too because the it's manipulating you to have a reaction because the because the writers you know felt that this was funny enough to insert this laugh track from people who are already dead. By the way, you know those things were recorded like in the thirties, right? Thirties mm-hmm. and forties. So most mm-hmm. most of the people who are laughing on that track is dead. So think about that, people who are listening to this. Most of the people you listen to laughing have been dead for like decades. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly exactly Ah, i don't know i find it like um and when we talk about shows with laugh tracks of course we're talking about classics we're talking about things like you know fresh prince of bel-air we're talking about like family matters roseanne seinfeld seinfeld friends you know uh and those are some that are not even like that ago. exactly all of those um and we're when we're talking about shows without laugh tracks for like for reference we're talking about like parks and rec we're talking about the office arrested development oh arrested development you know and uh, you community yes exactly and actually it's interesting that when you think about a lot of the shows without laugh track not every single one of them but a lot of the shows without laugh tracks are usually like single camera you know pan a lot of times documentary style and that makes sense because of the medium of the style that they're wanting to take the show is when you're do when you're recording a show and it's supposed to be documentary style like there's no so there's not supposed to be 
a quote unquote live audience following you around, you know, making sure that, you know, the laugh hits at the moment the punchline is said. Um, so I get that for shows like The Office and Parks and Rec. Um, how I feel about laugh tracks I have uh, I have said before that laugh tracks can be really manipulative and that I don't like being told when I should think something is funny or not. Um, but I do feel like it's an art form if you think about it. If you can only imagine the friends that come, for example, like they'll they'll go and they'll recite the line, and then they'll play out the scene and then they have to give space for the people to laugh or the laugh track to be played before they can move on with their lines. And that's just, I don't see how that wouldn't like completely throw me off of the whole scene to begin with, because that's a lot of weird pauses. Yeah. I mean, have you watched it? I mean, go on YouTube right now and, and type in X sitcom without laugh track. And you'll see how weird it is to mm-hmm. watch a show like friends, Seinfeld, how I met your mother, et cetera, et cetera, without that laugh track. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's, that's really weird to think about. Because um, it is because the shows are formatted in a way where it's it, scripted, it, where like, it can't where it can't work at, without the laugh track, pretty much. Like you can't take a, a show like Boy Meets World, take the laugh track out, and expect it to be like a community or like a new girl. Yeah. You know, it, it just won't happen. Yeah. Maybe you can maybe still get across the episode. You could probably still get the point of the episode the storyline, but is it really gonna have the same effect without that laugh track? Mm-hmm. Probably not. I don't know. I, st- I still feel like some of my favorite like episodes from uh you know from like the 90s and the early 2000s happen to be certain sitcoms with a laugh track so I'm not going to completely knock laugh tracks and demonize them and say that oh it's indicative of like an actual humorless tv show because there's a lot of well-written shows that happen to have laugh tracks it, in the world of sitcoms and things like that uh we've entered an era where all of the comedy is very like dry, very witty, very, um, very dry, very witty, very, um, you know, very matter of fact. So to put laugh tracks in a scene with Andy or April or, you know, Rashida Jones in Park, uh, Parks and Rec, it just wouldn't make any sense. I just don't like it when there is literally nothing to say. Like if you're watching Sister Sister and there is no punchline, but... You know, uh, suddenly you enter a laugh track here and they expect you to laugh or they expect you some sort of levity. Like, that's what I have a problem with. Um, I don't have a problem with them as a whole, but just don't use them and replace and replacement for a punchline. I think that is the biggest problem that people have with laugh track is that they're they're inserting these jokes that they think themselves are funny. But the why? But sometimes there's no real joke in there. It's like, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm just running late for blah blah blah. Insert laugh track here. There's no punchline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, there's no punchline. It's literally like you made a slightly funny remark, and that's it. And that deserves the. And I don't get me wrong. Like I've been, I think I enjoy, I enjoy the the laugh track more so as the uh-huh. as a relic, because, like, when I hear it used like in a comedic effect. Uh-huh. Like let's say like there's this great scene in uh in Scott Pilgrim versus the World. You seen Scott Pilgrim, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where Scott just got uh I think his first kiss. He spent the night at Ramona's flowers house, and he comes back to his uh little rinky dick apartment. And as soon as he opens the door, you hear the woo, the clearing and the and the and the snapping from like the audience when you know there clearly shouldn't be a yeah, 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 that yeah, that yeah. laugh track. And then he starts talking to Wallace, his roommate, like 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 what were you doing? And it was like oh I was at Ramona's house. You hear the the whistle the woo. 
you know, all that, you know, all and that. And that's hilarious stuff because like, they're like, using like, irony, you yeah, know? Exactly. I love what, like, when you, like, you insert, like, you know, those sounds into, like, a scenario that's completely unwarranted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah, why yeah. I appreciate the laugh track in that sense when it's being used, like you said, with irony, with just, like, the the, the out-of-placements of yeah, it. Yeah, the tongue-in-cheek sort of thing. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Uh, but uh, speaking of TV shows and the like, we have now come into our favorite segment, Me and the Good Looking Out, where we go ahead and we break you off a piece of what me and Ricardo have been watching. Uh, I'll go ahead and go first. Uh, we actually finished watching this not too long ago. This is a, a Hulu exclusive. It is a movie called Run by Sarah Paulson, and, starring Sierra, uh, Sarah Paulson and uh, Kiera Allen. Now, Sarah Paulson, she's been in a lot of the things, so people know her fairly well, uh, from Ratchet on Netflix and from uh, Miss America, also on Hulu. But uh, basically, uh, this movie has uh, had a lot of acclaim to it. It's been recommended by Stephen King and just, and honestly, like, I think I saw an article the other day where it said that it's the most watched Hulu movie to date. Um, Run with Sarah Paulson and Kiara Allen is basically the story of a mom and a daughter. That daughter is uh, sick. She has a lot of disabilities, some sort of paralysis, asthma, all these different illnesses. And the mom basically devotes her entire life to taking care of her. Now, somewhere in about a third of the movie going in, though, the daughter starts to realize that something is wrong and basically starts to realize that the mom's intentions are not exactly what you thought they were now the easiest way uh, whenever i say that sort of thing the the first thing that everyone's minds will come to is like munchausen syndrome or munchausen syndrome by proxy right and while that plot in a movie has been done before i think what sets this movie apart more uh sets this movie apart from other movies that have had that whole like sick child with like overprotective or overbearing mother scenario is the fact that this movie the person that is actually has the disability and it is in the wheelchair in real life Kiera Allen is actually in a wheelchair and she actually has a, a disability and this is actually her debut so this is the first major movie that she's in and it, I think that it's just it's a remarkable thing because her acting was really really good the majority of the movie for like a good two-thirds of it was almost all her you know like climbing on roofs there's all these crazy scenes that she had to do to get it was a very physical movie for someone with a disability to go through and her it just she was overall super super impressive and the idea that she did all of this when the representation of people with disability as uh, in major motion pictures isn't that known is just amazing and i even read uh, like an article or two about her and uh, she just said that this was an important movie for her because it was a wheelchair user actually playing another wheelchair user and i think that another really important part about this movie is that is that it uses inaccessibility as a weapon you know you get to see things from very someone's point of view that don't that does not have the same simple advantages that you have like uh you know being able to use their legs and what happens when that is taken away from them and how they are uh, how they survive and this movie at the end of the day portrays her not 
not even necessarily as a victim, but as someone who is very proactive in taking her circumstances by her own hands. And it's overall, I was very, very impressed with her as an actress, with what this movie means as far as this representation for disabled people and how important that is. So on that merit alone, and the fact that it was... It did have a couple of twists and turns that I did not expect. On all of those merits, I give it a solid like 7.5 out of 10 Veronica stars. I, I would recommend to watch it if you're into if you love thrillers and horror movies and things of that like. I want to say I'm like the most avid horror movie watcher, but I am. I, I would say I'm above average. Yeah, yeah. You like it a lot more than I do. I'm such a I, I would say I'm above movies, average usually. more than the, than the typical person yes. who may just know the the saws the halloween the the conjurings you know i i I like to dig dig deep but i'm no means a connoisseur a super super connoisseur i just love the medium but with that being said i mean i did go into the movie just knowing a lot of tropes just kind of knowing exactly kind of knowing what was uh going on because we watched this together that should be said yeah 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 we watched together um and you know the entire time I'm watching it, obviously for people who know the uh, the G- the Gypsy Blanchard case, mm-hmm. that was going through my mind the whole time because I'm like, okay, this is this is like a movie version of the Gypsy Blanchard. For those who don't know, that is uh, somebody who actually did experience um, Munchausen syndrome by proxy. She eventually snapped, uh, ran away with her boyfriend. Well, she killed her mother, the one that was you know feeding her these pills and saying that she belonged in the wheelchair for years until she was like 21 i think and lied to her about her age too the there's a great documentary on um netflix there's also on youtube just go just go on youtube you can investigate on and then hulu came out with a miniseries too like two years ago played by uh joey king i think Mm -hmm. she was the one that played uh gypsy but anyway i kept thinking of that case the entire time i'm like oh man they're making a movie they're making a movie version of that case pretty much yeah yeah. but it was still different enough to where it wasn't an exact like carbon copy exactly and you and the performances were really good especially you know i didn't know that kiara allen i didn't know that that fact about uh about her that she was actually disabled and you know that is really good for representation because the only other people the only other person i could think of that had the disability that's been like on a very mainstream stage is um I can't remember the actor's name right now, but uh, Walter Jr. for Breaking Bad, who uh, who in that show had a cerebral palsy, and in real life he does have yeah. cerebral palsy. So that that's really really good, and yeah, she did a stellar job. Yeah, some of the stuff that she was doing was incredible from an actor standpoint and from you know just a human it was standpoint. Very physical. It was very physical. Mm-hmm. And also, um, what's her name? The other one, the mom, Sarah What's Paulson. Yeah, yeah, she did. She did an amazing job. I mean, she always does an amazing yeah, job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sarah I, Paulson. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I was telling Veronica that, like, you know, she's that. She's one of those actresses that when she plays <laughs> the person you're supposed to despise, uh-huh. I want to like physically slap her across the face. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I think yeah. that just says a lot about her acting and how yeah. how good she's at conveying like the, the, the spiteful human being. Yeah, it makes you want to yeah. punch her lights out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So I definitely give it. I actually give it like an eight. I give it an eight mm-hmm. out of ten. Yeah. I think it's. I think it was really well done, and I actually looked it up. It was uh, directed by the guy who did Searching. Mm-hmm. If, if anybody's familiar with that movie, that came out like two years ago, that was really good. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that he's still, you know, continuing uh, making movies in in a, in, a, in a different vein as well. And this, uh, and it, and it is kind of, if you know Searching, you know that deals with like a like a missing person, a uh, kidnapping kind of thing, and he kind of ties that into this one as well. So. Yeah, definitely uh, recommend it to anybody who hasn't seen it. Run on Hulu. Check it out. 
So I, I've gone into like this uh, whirlpool in the middle of the Pacific Ocean named Cats. Um, I don't, I don't even know how to begin. So that move, and it may be because like the season we're in now. So uh-huh. that movie came out like around Christmas time last year, right? Yeah. And out of nowhere, I've gotten this. Cats this, like the movie. Cats, cats like the, the play, or cats in the all of it. General, all of all it. of it. So for some reason, I've just gotten like this a, is hilarious for you to get the the person who could give zero shits about musical theater. Yo, in comparison I, I to me, could not care one bit about musical. Yeah. I appreciate what goes behind them. Uh-huh. I, the people who the put work. on the show, the work. Yeah, yeah the work. The work. I, I'll give. I'll sing their praises all day. Will I want to sit around and watch one for the most part? Probably not, unless somebody as wonderful as you uh-huh. takes me to them. Uh-huh. But like for the most part, I'm not going out my way to see a musical. So everybody knows the disaster that was Cats the movie that came out last year. Mm-hmm. You know, left a lot of bad taste and a lot of fans and just regular moviegoers as a whole. Yeah, star-studded so, cast. It was complete trash, though. So I remember watching like some reviews of it, but I didn't really think too much of it. Like I said, don't care about cats, don't care about musicals like that. But out of nowhere, I just got this really, I, I'm telling you, it came it came out of nowhere. Like, you want to talk about spontaneous. This came out of nowhere. I think I just started seeing it on my recommended feed. And before I know it, I'm watching, like, reviews and, like, in-depth analysis about the movie. You rabbit mu- hold straight into a cat's mu- movie. And I, think, and I think, like I was telling you off, you know, off the air, I was telling you, that I really wanted to know what this thing was about because I know it was based off poems from T.S. Eliot about cats, but somehow they were able to tie that into a musical. And this, I think the original musical came out in 81. And, and you know, ever since I ever, and, and it, my first knowledge of cats came from seeing like a TV commercial back in like the late nineties, early two thousands. And I think it was also on a couple like VHSs. I'm pretty sure it was like on the blues clues or like Barney VHS. But uh, that was my first introduction to cats. I remember being creeped out as a kid that these humans that are dressed up like cats are like moving around on stage and look creepy. But either way, I've kind of like come back full circle, and I'm now I'm like deeply entrenched in the cats phenomenon. I guess. Yeah, and the cat I'm not universe. a fan. I'm not a fan, but I get it. But you're fascinated by it. I'm fascinated, and I get why people like it now. Mm-hmm. Cause the songs are really good, uh-huh. the the stage, the makeup and all that is really good, and there's just like this really weird aura about it that just kind of sucks Sexy you in. in. Yeah, it's so weird. Like, like why do I find this fascinating? And I think it stems from like me trying to understand the story. Cause once you get it, you're like, oh, everything else makes sense, and it's really simple too. Yeah. It's not like it's like some like mind Cats blowing. Cats dancing like, around trying to get into heaven. Yeah, they're pretty much trying to get into heaven and be re- reincarnated. That's literally what it is, and they're doing all this dancing Such and singing. Weird. You have to know that like the creators of this were on something. T.S. Eliot was like munching on those shrooms or whatever it is that you do with shrooms. Well, I would no. I would say that's more on um, Andrew Weber and uh-huh. the rest of the people because T.S. Eliot, his thing was. I don't think he ever mentioned like that. That part was never mentioned in his poems. Was not oh those those parts when it when it came to like the jellical cats and mm-hmm. like you know being resurrected that was never in those poems at all that was like more so a creation for the production. But what did musical. we say the, the 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 thing that we said about cats is that like cats is the 
Cats yeah. is the reason why people who hate musical theater hate musical theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the reason why people who hate musicals hate musicals. But it's also a very important film, and it can't be understated as to why it can't be understated the importance of it and why people constantly talk about it and why it's one of the longest running, you know, Broadway, Broadway shows. shows. Oh, like of I, all time. Uh, like I mean, that's that's your revelation, Ricardo, and I respect it, mi gente. I still don't get it, but you know what? Like I, I'm gonna do some research into it and try to get it too, because I, Cats is a phenomenon that I've yet to like fully understand. Um, I, I and I I grew up in musical theater. You know, I I want to love it. I want to understand why this is such a big deal. Uh, but it's just a mystery to me. It's a mystery to me. But you know. I get it. You're well, look, you can teach me your ways. You're incredible. looking at somebody who shouldn't get it. Mm-hmm. But you I, understand. I get it. This is scary, Vettel. Why do I get it? it Beats this, me. Beats me, broski. This Beats thing low-key kind of touched my soul. How many Ricardo stars does it get? Look, I have not watched the full. I've just been watching clips of like the, the oh, songs. Oh, so you haven't actually I haven't watched, watched the full, full movie yet. I haven't watched the full movie. Bruh. I'm going to. Okay, I'm going to get around okay, to okay, it. Okay. Don't get me wrong. And then maybe... By the time I'm done, I'm, I'm going to be fully converted into a cat fan. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like you're talking to somebody who's never even owned a cat. I don't give I don't give a crap about cats. And like you'll have like a Broadway Cats poster in your bedroom next thing. I, uh, know. I don't think it's going to go that. Yeah, I'll get you. I'm I'm now I don't want to get copping you for Christmas. Now I'm getting you like a Broadway Cats hoodie for Christmas. Please stop. Yes. No. no. That's it. That's it. No. That's it. Uh, no. But okay, so you can't even. Give I, I'm not any... even giving any stars. I'm not giving no stars. Yes. I'm just giving my experience. Stars at... on hold until you watch a movie. Maybe, maybe yeah. stars. I don't. I don't think I'll be the same man I am after I watch this movie. Okay. That's what I'm saying. Um. So yeah, man, cats. Uh, it's crazy. Like Jellicle cats, Old Deuteronomy. Uh, Bella. What's her name? Jezebella. Don't ask me. I don't motherfucking know, bro. The one that sings. The one that sings memories. Jezebella. I think her name. I don't know her name. I Uh, I know that song. I know I like that song. Mundo Jerry and and Rumble T. Mumbo. Mundo Jerry and, and Rumple Teeth. I could, I could listen to that woman say Rumple Teether all day and night. Just slowly, loudly, just keep saying Rumple Teether in my ear. You're a better, you're a better man than me, Ricardo Mexicano. But uh, yeah, shout out to all the cat fans out there, man. I I, I get the appeal of what I'm yes. saying. You know, shout out to all, shout out to all the 60 year old grannies who like cats. Yes, and and the and the and the lonely 30 year olds white women, the lonely 30 year old white women who like cats too. Yeah, shout out, shout out, shout out, mi gente. Uh, and with that, uh, that is the conclusion to our very all over the place episode. But you know how we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this has been In Living Spanglish. See you next week. We out. Thank you.